just do what feels natural. It'll be fine. It'll How be bad fine. can this be? This yep. is going to be a four-hour behemoth. No, no, it's not. It's not. We're not going to do that. We're adults, and we have impulse control. <laughs> do Shut we? Up. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Welcome to the Cinderella podcast, where we watch and review every Cinderella adaptation we can get our hands on, discussing the same story over and over until we slowly go insane. I'm Liv. And I'm Talon. And today we watched Ever After, made in 1998, which I'm going to go ahead and call the It Happened For Real Cinderella. Mm-hmm. This is a classic I feel like most people have seen this. This is one of my favorites, although now I have seen it in a different light. I have made it my personal mission to ruin this movie for everyone, I think. And I think that you're going to succeed. Listeners, (laughs) we just want you to know, we're going to try real hard to not just quote this entire movie line by line because we care about you and your time. Okay, the problem is every line in this movie is so quotable and so good and we've also seen it a million times each but you guys it's We're gonna really, be so hard can you please try. just take a moment to appreciate the feat that we are about to embark on mm-hmm. ever after starring drew barrymore without quoting every single line in the movie at you in real time Okay, we pinky promised each other, so let's let's. Start <laughs> and now this. also you, you are now also part of this pact. Yes. So, Talon, set the scene. What is the premise of this Cinderella? Okay, so the premise of the Cinderella is that there is no magic. All of this happened for real, and we start with a scene of this carriage, and some random dudes are walking out, and they're walking through a castle. And it, they get announced as the Brothers Grimm, Your Majesty. Someone who is titled as the Grand Dame thanks them for coming and is sort of self-indulgently like, oh, you must be wondering why someone my age needs an audience with the authors of children's stories. And God, this is so hard. This is so hard. <laughs> You're doing so I'm bad. already... You're every line. Every okay, line. Okay, so- basically... basically what happens is there's a fancy old lady she's very rich she's somehow royal the brothers Grimm are there to see her and she tells them that their version of Cinderella was not correct and neither is the parole version which Uh, I love that they referenced that was the first time (laughs) I caught that reference and it made me really happy both versions are wrong and she knows this because while they're arguing about what constitutes the actual glass slipper or whether it was a first slipper or whatever, she pulls out the actual glass slipper from the story and is like, perhaps you'll allow me to set the record straight. This was a real person. She is my ancestor. Well done. That was well encapsulated. I don't think that was any shorter than anything else. It wasn't. You did a terrible God, job. God, I did a okay. bad job. Okay, I'm okay. going to try, try the next part then. Okay, so, good luck. <laughs> so we we then cut to... No, wait, before the cut, she oh, right. says, what is that phrase you use? Oh, yes, once upon a time, there you was a young girl every... who loved her father very much. I think it's important. I think it's important. They're all important, Helen. 
Oh. Every line is important. Okay, so we cut to French countryside at sunset. A man is riding through a carriage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we cut to a castle. There's a little girl. Her name is Danielle. Danielle de Barbarac. That will be our Cinderella. She is getting dressed by her servants and she's very excited because she's going to be getting a mother and two sisters all in one day. We find out that she's something of a tomboy. She is tricked, cajoled into going out and playing with her stable boyfriend, Gustave, instead of like greeting the Baroness properly, her stepmother and her father properly. Okay, okay. But what happens is Gustave throws like rocks at her window. And when she comes to the window, he's like, you look like a girl. And she's like, I am a girl. And he's like, yeah, but you look like one. And then she threatens to whip him, which she does. We take you somewhere like five minutes ago. What are you doing? I summarized. Listen, I think Gustave is very important. I love Gustav. I want to just really do my best to set him up. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Gustav is very important. And we set up that she is a tomboy. So the father rides up. And the servants all run to stand in the line to greet the master. He's returning home. And you meet Maurice, who's the head servant. And fancy carriage rolls up. And the father's like, where's my daughter? I thought I had a daughter somewhere. Oh, well. Uh, here, he, he's used to her just running off. And so the two young stepsisters get out. They're very fancy. There's a blonde one and a dark-haired one. And then a delicate hand extends through the curtains in the baroness. Baroness Rodmila de Ghent uh, exits the stage and goes, oh, it's positively charming. And it's played, she's played by Angelica Houston. Oh my God, best casting ever. Just, it's incredible. I, she's phenomenal. Anyways, Danielle runs up to give her father a big hug. She's covered in mud and he introduces them and is like, well, I was hoping that you would be better dressed, but you're not. I had hoped to present a little lady, but I suppose you'll do. Okay, but he says it with so much love. and. Yes he's just like hugging her the whole time and just sort of swaying back and forth. It's very clear that he's sort of teasing her for her outdoorsy ways, but absolutely loves her for who she is. Yes. So she's covered in mud, but not as covered in mud as poor Gustav, who staggers onto the scene, yep. just entirely just dripping mud. So the Baroness greets her, you know, kind of not coldly, but kind of aloof and says, oh, your father talks of nothing else. It's, it's good to meet you. And then we cut to Danielle's bedroom and her father's there and he's brought her a new book. He's brought her Utopia by Thomas More. Even and though she's eight. Even though she's eight. And he's like, well, it's a bit much for an eight-year-old, but we'll read it together. It'll be a good thing for us to bond over because nothing bad's going to happen to me in the next couple of minutes. And they talk about how it's going to be different that he's married now and how they're going to have to get used to some changes. And we get the line from Danielle, you're a husband now. And the dad goes, yes, a husband, but a father first and forever, which just, oh, my heart. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be leaving in two weeks to go to another business trip. And they do rock, paper, scissors to determine how long he's going to stay away. He also asks her how she feels about her new stepmother and stepsisters, and she says that she likes them very much, that the way they eat is like very perfect, like a dance, and that she expresses a lot of love and excitement. She does. She's very into this new family. So we then cut to two weeks later, as the father is going to be leaving on his trip. The serving staff is really sad. The Baroness and her daughters look gloomy. Danielle is like 
basically devastated and he's like clutching his arm and he's sort of lightly teasing them saying he'll come back soon and the baroness kind of pushes him away and is like you know just go the sooner you leave the sooner you'll come back um and he gets on his horse and he's flexing his fingers and just looking kind of like pensive and this is our first sign that something's wrong because if you like live in modern times as i'm assuming none of you are time travelers you know that arm pain is a symptom of a heart attack so that's like a really good moment of foreshadowing if any of you are time travelers um please email us i have a lot of questions <laughs> so the baroness kind of is like okay it's time to go he's ridden off we're all going back to our studies and danielle asks her to wait because it's tradition he's always gonna wave at the gate and the baroness shrugs her off and just kind of leaves but danielle stays to look and her father groans and collapses before he even reaches the gate and she screams papa and Ooh. it's heartbreaking the camera does this really intense zoom thing. I don't know what it's called. Uh, what, what is that called? Um, I forget what it's called, but it's the thing where it zooms in on her, but the background stays the same. So it's moving forward, but also panning at the same time. Same time. Yeah, it's, it's a really great technique when used properly. And it's used so properly here. So she shrieks and runs to him. Alerted by her shriek, the Baroness also comes out. And also, you know, hand to her mouth, very upset, also sprints down the lane to the father. To the and point where she's lifting her skirts and we can see her bloomers, which knowing her character later on is like clearly a sign that she's completely thrown decorum to the side because absolutely. she's a very put together and very proper baroness. Yes, so you can tell there's a lot of emotion in the scene from her as well. So they get to him and they roll him over and they're, they're both crying. And he lifts his hand, he, he looks at the Baroness, and then he looks at Danielle, and he lifts his hand to Danielle's cheek and says, I love you, I love you. And the Baroness looks at Danielle with this sort of confused, like he's looking at her and not me. He's, he, she, it's this moment of, and because it's Angelica Keystone and she does so many exquisite facial expressions, it's this incredibly complex look of, sad heartbreak jealousy concern envy sorrow for a moment and then he dies and his hand falls to the ground and she looks back at him and they both just start sobbing and the baroness starts screaming you cannot leave me here you cannot leave me here and turns and just throws herself into maurice the head servant's arm to just sob it's and danielle danielle is just screaming please come back and it's so sad you guys it's just the most intense father death scene i'm gonna go with ever yeah out of all of the cinderellas this is the one where we feel the most that cinderella and the stepmother are just heartbroken by this death and you know i don't know if we made this very clear but this happens within two weeks of his marriage mm -hmm. and then we get the voiceover again from the old lady who's the descendant of cinderella the, that it would be 10 years before another man would enter her life, a man who was still a boy in many ways. And I agree with that a lot because- It is true, it's true, yeah. The thing is, I love this movie and I don't like the prince at all. And it really colors how I experience this movie. So I'm just gonna tell you right away. Talon has ruined this movie for me somewhat, at least the last quarter of it. But for the first three quarters, I'm fine. So 
I'm still fine. So we, <laughs> we cut to an underground tunnel and the king and queen of France are stomping down this corridor in their royal pajamas and they're arguing about their son. And they're just, <laughs> it's clearly a long running argument. And the queen goes, a sapling cannot grow in the shadow of a mighty oak, Francis. He needs sunlight. And the king goes, he needs a good whipping. And it's one of my favorite <laughs> lines. And so we see it at this time that the prince is escaping out of his tower window with sheets tied together. And the He's parents- just repelling down the side of the castle while they're That's having it. this argument. And the king yells, if I can't sleep, neither shall he. And he goes to wake him up and they see that he's disappeared. And the queen goes, oh no, not again. Again. And we see Prince Henry right off into the night. And the king shouting to send the guards after him to bring him back. So we cut to Danielle's house again. It is the morning. She's asleep in front of her fireplace with Utopia open on her lap. This makes sense. She would be reading it. She'd be reading it late at night after her chores. She wouldn't have been able to use candles because those are expensive. So she'd be reading by the fire and she'd be tired. So she'd fall asleep. This is the only thing that makes sense. So she wakes up. She goes to do her chores. What she does is wait, wait. pick apples. We have to tell our dear listeners oh, what, what she looks, looks like. Right, right. Okay. Assuming um, you haven't seen this. Which come on you you've seen this you should probably watch this you should absolutely watch this but anyway we'll get to that anyway so Cinderella (laughs) is played by Drew Barrymore which means that she has not a classically beautiful face she doesn't have you know extremely fine features but she's very pretty she has long straight brown hair with little braids that pin it back and her normal dress is a blue work dress so it has little puffs at the sleeves and elbows where it's tied together because that's how clothes worked back in the 1500s and it's kind of dirty it's not rags but it's definitely she's got an apron on over it it's very clearly uh rough material can i continue yes okay (laughs) so she goes to do chores and she's picking apples and the royal guard rides by and she sort of looks after them and then she's got a apron full of apples and she sees someone on a horse that her family owns jumping over a hedge and she's immediately assumes that this is the thief that the royal guard were chasing so she takes an apple and she runs down and she throws an apple and hits him right in the face and knocks him off his horse she yells oh no you don't and things like stop thief and things like that and just um, continues to hurl apples at him and hits him like in the face, in the butt, in the shoe, like underneath the horse. Just really good aim is what we're saying. She and, throws with the force of like a softball league pitcher. Oh, absolutely. Like, amazing form, amazing precision. Yes. Just um, and she just, yeah. she knocks him right off the horse. It's so he good. tumbles. The thief gets very caught up in his cape. And as you have probably figured out, it is the it's prince, the prince. Yeah. and when his face is revealed she bows and she's very upset and she's like oh forgive me your highness i didn't see you <laughs> and he goes your aim would suggest otherwise <laughs> and it's one of the best lines so she's trying to ask forgiveness for punching him with apples and he is just trying to leave and not be noticed and so he goes you know please just don't tell anyone and leaves her 
uh, empties a handful of gold and just says, I want to be free from my gilded cage and rides off. We then meet the adult stepmother and stepsisters. So the stepsisters are Jacqueline and Marguerite. And Jacqueline is the one with the dark hair. And we're given to believe based on the comments that the Baroness makes that she's like chubby, but she's not at all. She is a little bit larger than Marguerite. She's a little because she has like some rounded features and she looks like she she looks like the kind of person that you could give a hug to. If you hugged Marguerite, you'd like cut yourself on her cheekbones. Anyway, the other one is Marguerite, who's blonder and just meaner and bad. She's just shrill, annoying, nasal voice, spoiled. Ugh. So this is the version of Cinderella in which one of the stepsisters is markedly nicer than the other one. So that's Jacqueline. She's nicer and she's also closer to being treated like Cinderella. She's definitely the much less favored child. Yes. And that gives them almost a sort of bond, which is the type of Cinderella story that I actually really enjoy. I like when there's a nicer stepsister. I like that as well. So this breakfast scene, we get the dynamic of the older sister is shrill and awful and she's not shrill she's resonant is how she describes herself yep it's pretty great Jacqueline is trying very hard to be included in this conversation like she's going to be included she's not we get the line Jacqueline dear do not speak unless you can improve the silence and what they're discussing at the breakfast table is that they will never be part of the royal court because the prince is engaged to the Spanish princess and it's kind of it for them. So the Baroness shrieks for Danielle and Danielle hollers back that she's coming, runs into the kitchen and tells her fellow servants who are now reduced from a whole household to just Louise and um, Paulette and shows them the gold. And we find out that the Baroness has sold Louise's husband, Maurice, who was who the head- we saw at the beginning. Yeah, who was like the head servant, has sold him to pay her debts, and he's going to be shipped off to America, and that they have to keep this secret. Maurice is also very, very old, and Ooh. so is his wife, Louise, and so it's like extra, extra sad. Yeah, these, these people are in their- 60s or like they're no they're not they're not (laughs) it's okay but it's 1560s so like 80 today they look like they're in their 80s by which I guess you can reinterpret that they're in their 60s during the renaissance yeah they're they're not old enough to be infirm but they are definitely old enough that they should not be doing work every day they look very fragile they do look very fragile so Danielle brings whatever she was supposed to bring to the breakfast table of the ladies. It's and salt. It's salt and, and bread. I think she brings bread. And uh, the Baroness continues to criticize her about, well, why can't you just try? What's so hard about this? And Danielle is trying to appease her. And is she or is she being like a little snarky? I don't know. I genuinely got that as like, well, I'm, she talks so Danielle talks very different when she is talking to the stepmother and stepsister. She uses smaller words and no contractions and sort of speaks slower when she's actually talking to people that she likes. She speaks in a very animated, real way. I, well, um, when she walks in, she says, Good morning, Madame, and she addresses both of her stepsisters by name and she says, I trust you slept well. 
the Baroness says, come here, child. Your appearance does reflect a certain crudeness, my dear. What can I do to make you try? And then Daniel's response, I swear, this has to be snarky because she says, I do try. I do wish to please you. You know, when I finish my chores, I sit and I think on my own of what I could do to do a better job. But she doesn't say it with any sort of snark. She says it with sort of a not really sincere. I'm, I'm not positing that she actually does this, but I think she's genuinely trying to figure out how to get the Baroness to yell at her less often. So she probably does spend a decent amount of time. I think, I don't know. No, no, hard right. disagree. She's standing there with a straight face saying, you know, in my few spare moments of spare time, I just, I think about the ways that I could please you, my lady, and what more I could do to be of service to you, okay, and the ways I, that I could do, it just uh, goes on for a really it, long it time. It does, it does, but she doesn't have a, there's no moment of snark or, and she says this with an incredibly sincere face, and the Baroness says, oh, calm down, relax. Okay, okay so we cut to the prince in the woods, and he sees a group, a uh, small group of carts that is being set upon by a band of thieves. So in the movie, these are referred to as gypsies. We are going to be calling them thieves unless we have to quote something because that's not really a term we like to use. So he comes across this band of thieves and they're stealing stuff from an old man's cart who is racing around trying to stop them. And the old man importunes him. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I just want to say when we see the prince, he has a giant bruise on his forehead from where she threw the apple at him. And it's incredible. And I love it. He does. So the thieves see the royal guard and, you know, whistle to one another to flee. And Prince rolls his eyes. And the old man whose stuff was being stolen stops him and says, please, sir, for the love of God, the painting. That man there, he's getting away. He says, and, please, sir, it is my life. And the prince is just like, Gah! Literally just yells gah and decides to chase after the dude. And then as he's like chasing after this guy on horseback, it doesn't say this in the subtitles, but it sounds like he's saying the F word over and over again. And I thought this and Liv thought this and we independently came to this conclusion. So, it really sounds like that's what he's saying. It really does. So, and it is appropriate in the moment. It is. So I think that this is canon. I think we can announce that that's true. I think so. So he chases the thief with this painting and they have hijinks and eventually they fall off a cliff into a big lake. I assume that the thief guy then drowns because he does not swims reappear. Away. He just swims away. We never see him again, so we don't know that he swims off. And the prince is wearing a lot of clothes, and I don't know if anybody's tried to swim wearing a several yards of velvet and brocade, but it's not possible. Well, it might be if you're very strong. No, maybe no. he's got rippling like have you abdominal tried? muscles have you underneath. Have, have you tried? Because I once tried to swim in like a full, full dance skirt, and that didn't go well for me. And that was made out of corduroy. I mean, you shouldn't have done that. Yes, but that was not the point. The point is, if I had been wearing several more yards of fabric and it had been velvet instead of corduroy, I would have drowned. Anyway, we switch to <laughs> the like courtyard of where our Cinderella Danielle lives with her stepmother and stepsisters. And there's like a merchant there selling jewelry. And the Baroness is looking for a brooch. 
it's a very the brooch that he offers them is extremely ostentatious it's got pearls hanging off and stuff and she goes no we need something bigger and the merchant goes i fear baroness that anything larger might and sort of gestures towards his chest make her fall over <laughs> and she threatens to look elsewhere and he's like no no i i i think i have something else and while this is happening danielle is inside the house with a grown-up gustav he's a, yes. he's a painter's apprentice now he's also like very gawky still he was gawky as a child and he's gawky as an adult and i love gustav so much and she's basically getting changed into a very fancy outfit and he says do you know what the punishment is for servants that dress above their station and she flicks his nose because she bullies him and that's their relationship Mm -hmm. so this dress is very beautiful it is it's blues and greens it's shiny it's sort of got a high cut waist and a a v-neck and it's not as formal as dresses from that time would normally be it doesn't have this massive skirt and it has sort of tighter sleeves with small puffs at the joints rather than this massive billowing sleeves that some gowns had and so gustav kind of gives her a pep talk about like you look fine just no he doesn't he starts out by telling her that this is a terrible idea and he's concerned that they won't you know believe that she's a member of court because she's too sweet and because gustav is her only friend he's stuck having to help her through this and he ends up doing her hair for her he does he helps her put her beautiful long hair into a snood and it's very pretty um she also is worried because her shoes are too big and he tells her once he sees her in the beautiful dress that you know, he sort of smiles and he says, no one will be looking at your feet. And that's important later. It is. The captain of the guard, Laurent, is scolding Henry. And we find out that this old man is Leonardo da Vinci and that the painting that Prince Henry saved is the Mona Lisa. He criticizes the Mona Lisa because he doesn't, he thinks she's mocking him because our prince is kind of a fathead. So Prince Henry is delighted to learn that this is Leonardo da Vinci and says you are the very founder of forward thinking my father is the king of backwards perhaps you can talk him into the 16th century just aggressively holding this old man by the shoulders and shaking him leonardo looks terrified and looks at the captain of the guard and says um please translate and laurent goes prince henry suffers from an arranged marriage among other things (laughs) so the prince comes through danielle's home the banner and he meets the Marinus there and he returns the horse to her and he apologizes for scaring the wits out of a servant earlier. The Baroness, realizing that it must be Danielle, tries to claim that she is mute, but he um, says that she had quite a bit to say and that she was very forceful, which makes the Baroness very nervous. The two daughters, the stepsisters, push each other out of the way to come out of the doorway and Marguerite has the biggest brooch in the world right in her decolletage. Um, yes, emphasizing her her, her bosom. It, it is a <laughs> it's a large diamond-shaped gold-beaten massive monstrosity with a pearl in the middle. It's it's genuinely huge. And Jacqueline has put a feather in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> so the Baroness congratulates the prince on his upcoming engagement and he kind of hems and haws giving her the idea that maybe it's not very solid and he compliments Marguerite on her brooch at which point Jacqueline 
takes the feather from her hair and stuffs it into her cleavage. Yep. And the captain of the guard, Laurent, kind of giggles to himself. He, and he sees this and thinks it's cute, which... Seems to like it. Yeah, He's he does. A fan. <laughs> and so uh, Marguerite flirts with the prince, and we're done with that scene. So at this point, Danielle is all gussied up. She's in her very formal attire. Her hair is done up. Liv, how would you describe her hair? It's in a snood. Okay, I don't know what a snood is. It is a, a woven net, like lace, but mostly holes. And it fits over the head and the hair gets tucked up into it. So you wind up with your hair in a very neat little... It, it's not a bun because it's not twisted and attached to your head, but it's very neatly encaged in this small little net bag, which would be very fancy and have little gems sewn onto it and you would just pin it to your hair. It's really pretty. It's a great way of storing a lot of hair. I've worn one. They're very comfortable, especially if they come with elastic now. So at this moment, as she's walking past all the like royal noble people and the guards, she sees Maurice being shoved into a cage and he's about to be driven off. And she tries to stop this from happening. And she tells the driver, you know, I wish to address the matter of the servant. I'm here to pay the debt against him. And the driver refuses. And she exclaims, release him at once, or I'll take this matter to the king. But is told that the king is the one that sold him in the first place. And they get into a conversation about the fact that he's not property. He's a person. I would not use the word conversation. They get into a yelly fight. They get into a yelly fight and she says, you know, do you think it's right to chain people like chattel? And as the driver raises his voice to her, the prince comes by and admonishes him for raising his voice to a lady. Danielle is terrified at this point, gets this look on her face of, oh no, but turns around and curtsies to the prince and explains what's going on, essentially. The yelly dude driver guy says, you know, these are criminals and thieves. And Danielle goes, they're not thieves. And if they are, they can't help themselves. And the prince asks her to explain. And she quotes Utopia to him saying, if you suffer your people to be ill-educated and their manners corrupted from infancy and then punish them for those sins to which their first education disposed them, what is to be concluded, sire, but that you first make thieves and then punish them? Listeners, I want you to know, I didn't actually write that line down. I knew you would have that memorized. I knew it. (laughs) don't have that written down i just have utopia and he's floored by this and um commands maurice to be released <laughs> he goes well there you have it release him it's which great. is the only reaction you can have to that very much so so danielle goes to maurice and greets him and sort of whispers to him meet me at the bridge and then loudly goes prepare the horses we'll leave at once <laughs> and curtsies to the prince and walks away And as she's walking away, the only person who's looking at her feet is Da Vinci. And he notices that she's wearing her her work boots and just kind of smiles. Yep. And the prince is super intrigued by this lady. So he follows her and he asks (laughs) who she is, what she's doing. And she goes, I'm visiting a cousin. And the prince goes, who? My cousin. Which one? The, the only one I have, sir. Are you being coy on purpose? Or do you honestly refuse to tell me your name? Oh, that's not the line. The line is, are you called impertinence? Or do you honestly refuse to tell me your name? Oh my God. Anyway, she goes, no. 
and, and yes yes <laughs> and he explains that it's that he's just fascinated that she can quote thomas more and she's she turns and goes you read utopia and he goes it was boring he also confesses that the plight of the everyday rustic bores him and that he does not converse with many peasants and she scolds him roundly for this yes and because she believes that the character of the country is built on the foundation of peasants they're the backbone etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and she ends with the line you gave one man back his life but did you even glance at the others and he begs her for a name any name and she says the only name she can leave him with is Comtesse Nicole de Lancre at which point the queen shows up greets the prince and Danielle just flees while he's distracted yes <laughs> uh we later found out that the name that she gave him was her mother's and yes. this is the identity that she assumes in all future interactions with him yes we're back at the manor and we see Paulette and Louise the two older servants who are much older doing chores they're doing little gardening stuff and hanging out cloths to dry and the music gets sort of warbly and Danielle and Maurice walk up and Louise sees them first and it's her husband and she just starts making noises and she runs to him and she's old but she's run and then Paulette sees him and they run it's the most romantic scene it makes me cry every time it's really touching because Louise and Maurice run to each other and they're both telling each other how much they've missed each other so you get the sense that Maurice has been gone for a really long time and Paulette is just keeps going oh oh and you know they run to each other and everyone hugs each other and everyone's kissing each other and just this is the most wonderful thing because they thought he was going to be gone forever. They thought he was going to, like, you people shipped you off to America to die. This is a man in his 70s-ish. Presumably. Presumably. And they've been married, and they're still very much so in love with each other, and they're all doing this big hug, and Danielle's sort of standing off to the side, and then they all open their arms and invite her in, and, like, this is her family. This is the people that raised her, and she's united them together. You're going to make me cry. Okay. You're going to make me cry right now on this recording. <laughs> okay. So okay. we move to the next scene in which Prince Henry is talking to his father who's restricted him to the grounds and he goes, do not mock me, boy, for I am in a foul disposition. <laughs> so the king, the king and the prince are fighting about the prince's duty and they're just flamboyantly yelling at one another and the queen is trying to make peace. And Prince Henry gets a, a mean land in on his mom saying, you know, marriage to a complete stranger never made anyone in this room very happy. And she looks kind of crushed for a minute yeah. that's I think the first time we really see Henry just be an absolute dick yeah so the main takeaways from the scene are that he's restricted to the grounds that he has to marry the princes of Spain and that um he doesn't want to because it's his life and we get this line from the queen that says you know sweetheart you were born to privilege and to that comes specific obligations. And that's kind of the overarching theme for him. It is. It's very important. The king then completely undermines this moment by commanding him that he will get married or the king will strike at him in any way he can. And the prince is like, what's it to be, father? Hot oil or the rack? Because he's the only son. He's the only child. And the king goes, I will simply deny you the crown and live forever. And the prince goes, good. I don't want it and storms out and the king goes 
looks at the queen and goes, he's your son, and just flops back down. It's a great scene. We cut back to the manor. Danielle is in trouble because she did not tell the household that the prince had shown up. Fortunately, she's spared from being in actual trouble because Marguerite flirted with the prince, and so everyone's happy. M Maurice shows up and says, I've worked off your, my debt. They let me come home. And so he's, he's back home and they know about it. And then we go back to the queen and the prince and the prince is asking her if she's heard of Nicole de Lancre and she has not. And There's the simply cautions. too many courtiers to remember them all by name. And uh, during this conversation, the king rolls up and announces that there'll be a masked ball in five days. And the prince, if he wants to marry somebody else, he has until the stroke of midnight to find a woman. And the queen cautions him to choose wisely because divorce is only something they do in England. So an invitation gets sent out to the Baroness and the ladies of the house. And now we see the Baroness talking to a little evil man. And I don't know what his name is because they never named He's, him. I have him in my notes says servant spy. Servant spy. Excellent. So the servant spy tells her that the engagement is canceled, that he's got, you know, five days to find a bride. And she pays him to tell her about the competition and about every move that the prince makes and any other information that he can help with. And she also tells him that he has skin of such elegance, concealing such ruthlessness, and then pinches his nose. Yep, so she's flirting with him to keep his loyalty, essentially, is the way that I read this, because the man looks like a cherub that it went sour, like the way that spinach rots. He's a cherub who rotted like spinach. He's just gross. He's got kind of like a Cabbage Patch doll face and shoulder-length curly hair, and he's kind of short, and he's just very evil. Anyway. And we find out that the prince will be playing tennis tomorrow. And then we see Paulette and Danielle, and they're basically just doing chores, and we're establishing that Danielle does not find the prince charming. She finds him extremely annoying. And As she has been saying all day. Yes, so questionable. And then, you know, Paulette says he's royalty, they're born like that, and the rejoinder from Danielle is the penalty for being wealthy is that you have to live with the rich. He Which, and Marguerite deserve each other. Yes. So we go back to the house. Um, Marguerite is throwing dresses around, trying to find the right dress. Um, we got another joke that Jacqueline's dress is too small and that she can't breathe. And the line is, well, if one cannot breathe, one cannot eat. That comes from the Baroness. It does. So Marguerite wants a dress fit for a queen, which reminds the Baroness of something. They go to a chest and they pull out this beautiful silvery white dress. And she goes, waste not, want not. And it turns out that this is Danielle's mother's dress and it's meant to be her dowry for her wedding. And it also and includes the shoes. Yes the very beautiful she that we saw at the very beginning. Yeah. So Jacqueline sort of chimes in with, well, this is her dress. Maybe she'll want to wear it. And we get this conversation of, well, she's not coming. Well, she is our sister, but she's a commoner. Well, it did say to the ladies at the house of Ghent, honestly, who'd notice? Whose side are you on? And at this point, Danielle walks in and interrupts them and says, what are you doing? And everyone sort of does a guilty start. And the best they can come up with is we're airing out your dress for the mosque and announce that they were totally planning to have her come with them. And so the Baroness is this terrible gaslighty thing of, 
Honestly, Danielle, it hurts you don't think of yourself as one of my daughters. Just, oh, I hate you. The worst. I love Angelica Houston so much. Cinderella provided that she does her chores and behaves can go to the mask. And at this point, Jacqueline just kind of huffs and throws the shoes down and stomps out because she just can't handle the hypocrisy. And Marguerite goes, mm, she doesn't want you to go. And Danielle gets this look on her face of extreme confusion because Marguerite is the evil one. So this next scene is my favorite because Prince Henry <laughs> is bothering poor Leonardo da Vinci and is just like pontificating on like the nature of fate and love and, and like the one. And he's like, what if you meet someone and they're perfect? And are they really the one for you? But like, what if they get struck by lightning and then you fall in love with someone else and you marry them? Were they the one all along? What if you had seen them both at the same time? Which one is the one? What if you just met the one first? And poor Leonardo da Vinci <laughs> is just looking at him like, my God, man. Well, he's just get a therapist. He's just laughing in the background. And finally, the prince ends this very funny rant with, are some things meant to be? And Leonardo responds very sensibly with, you can't leave everything to fate. She's got a lot to do. He also has water shoes at this point, And he displays them to the prince and puts them on. Leonardo da Vinci has made wooden boats that you can walk on water in. So we see on the other side of the lake, Danielle is out picking mushrooms with a pig. I think she's picking truffles. Or truffles. She's out with a pig. The pig is helping her find something. Anyways, the point is she sees that her hands are dirty. She decides to go for a swim. And then the most beautiful thing in the world happens. <laughs> she's swimming on her back in like her underclothes and Floating, like- Just in, at very, peace. Yeah, it's very serene. It's a very beautiful scene. There's music playing. And then you get this overhead shot of Da Vinci just going like, looks like rain as he's walking on the water in his in wooden boat middle, shoes. In the middle of the lake. In the middle of the lake. And Danielle just screams like, just, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and they both- They flounder. They flounder. Leonardo falls over, they flounder. They make it to shore. The prince comes to assist and recognizes Danielle as Contest Nicole. And then she has to he explain. Gives her his cloak. It's very nice because her, they don't show it, but I don't think they had underwear as such in the underwear time. Underwear did not exist at that time. And she's wearing like a very see-through shift with yep. like a bodice thing on top. So mm -hmm. her chest is covered, but I don't think the rest of her is. Fun side fact, people really resisted underwear, especially for lady folk, because it was considered too masculine because you had to put on pants. They had full pockets in their gowns, though. They had little slits and you would tie these massive pockets around your waist under your gown and then you would have a little slit and you could just. So I just want to point out that women in the 1500s, A, didn't have to wear panties and B, massive full size pockets. Okay, so <laughs> uh, Danielle then has to sort of explain to him why she's there and they have another sort of quarrel, laughy conversation. Um, so the crux of it is that she claims to have dismissed her servants for the day and he is shocked that she's able to do this and one of their points of contention is that you know she loves life and she's excited by every day and she has all this passion and vibrancy and he has basically everything in the world and takes no enjoyment of it takes no pride in it yeah she then hears uh Jacqueline calling for her and announces that she needs to leave he invites her to tennis but she just she just runs away she books it 
So that night around the table, the Baroness is fussing that she can't see her dinner, where are the candlesticks, the paintings in the upstairs hall are missing. And, and this is this is a recurring problem. Things keep going missing in the house. And we find out that it's because the Baroness is selling them off piece by piece to pay her debts or to just have lavish spending money. But what she does, instead of admitting that, is garnish the wages of her servants who have no choice but to agree to yeah. just... They meekly accept this. Yeah, they, they really don't have an option. The Baroness threatens to send them to the Americas with the rest of the thieves. But then Jacqueline says, oh, the prince went to the king and he actually had all those men released and any man who sails must be compensated. And Danielle's like, he did what? It's because she's been very standing, very quiet, perfect servant and just goes, he didn't. And it's it's the first moment that you get where you really see that the prince has been influenced by her ideas to the point of taking action on them, which is really cool. I, I like that moment. Yes, I do too. I will tell you when I start hating the prince, it is not yet. <laughs> yeah. So we go to ten the tennis match the next day. The prince does a hilarious thing where when trying to get a, a difficult shot, he falls through the netting into a pile of women. And, and he comes out covered in handkerchiefs. It's great. They've shoved handkerchiefs into every possible nook of clothing. I'm surprised he didn't spit one out of his mouth. But if he was a rock star in modern day and had fallen into the crowd, it would be panties. It would be panties. It's very great. It's a funny scene. But Marguerite is the one who caught the tennis ball and she is standing all coy holding a tennis ball and everybody is ooh and she flirts with the prince some more she's holding the ball and he goes to get it and he goes you're looking well marguerite and she goes you're welcome to look your highness and he kind of chuckles awkwardly and sardonically i cannot tell how so he feels when marguerite flirts with him aggressively here's what i think i think that he is kind of interested in her because he was gonna like we find out later that he was going to ask Marguerite to be his bride. Like he really was. He is interested in her, but he is suddenly now contrasting her with Danielle. Like this is a hot chick flirting with me very suggestively. I like this, but she also seems kind of boring. I'm, something seems wrong. I'm not sure what's happening. So I think this is a moment of internal confusion. I definitely get the sense that he's both like into her and at the same time put off by her because there's something about her that he feels is like manufactured or something it doesn't ring sincere for him and so he's kind of always defensive around her Mm -hmm. I I think he also finds her sexually threatening that is very possibly true so we go to the marketplace where Danielle and the two servants are selling their produce from the farm and this is where we meet Monsieur Le Pew, also known as Pierre, he is the antagonist, the secondary antagonist. He's got this evil goatee. He's bald. He's played by the actor that played Rick Raff in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yep. He's dressed all in black. He has very tight pants. He's got a gold earring. Yeah. looks, Looks very piratical, very clearly the bad guy. And he's really creeping on Danielle. He is being aggressively gross with her. So he makes a lot of like insinuations about how she should be grateful that he buys from them at all because he's helping them stay afloat. He says a lot of gross things about her comparing her to land. He's like, you may have the best soil in the province, but it's so poorly tendered. And 
he he talks about how he's twice her age and calls her my child and claims to be well endowed and there's this really long pause and he's like my estate of course yeah and he says he needs a young lady with spirit it's he's really into her she's really not into him it's relevant later it's Moving very on. gross it's very gross but Paulette, the- Paulette encompasses everyone's feelings by saying horrible man if he didn't buy a bushel of vegetables every week i'd spit on him i love that paulette and louise totally back her up they they're aware of this so they're just absolutely flanking her and just saying if you don't have anything to buy go away and it's yes it's really great that they support her that way i love that scene well he chooses not to buy anything as a punishment basically to remind them how important he is to them yes so the prince is also in the market walking with um this the family and they specifically with marguerite specifically with marguerite and he has something for her to try and she just opens her mouth and he looks very confused and puts this little thing in her mouth and she goes oh it's positively sinful what is it and he goes it's chocolate here's the thing and chocolate would not have been sweetened with sugar he just basically fed her cocoa (laughs) that would have been incredibly bitter so she's really playing it up he he fed her "Mm." He fed her unsweetened chocolate, you guys. I can't. <laughs> they didn't have a lot of like sweet things back then, I don't They think. didn't. They didn't. Marguerite takes the prince over to meet their servants who freeze in panic. And he says, I would love to meet your servants. So a lot of the, it's another one of those moments where the conversations he's been having with Danielle are really paying off because mm-hmm. before he would have been like, why would I want to meet your servants? Why would I do that? And now yeah. he's like, I would love to meet them. Yeah, so- he walks over and it's just Louise and Paulette and they sort of freeze in shock. And then Danielle has been bending over getting a chicken and she stands up, sees the prince, releases the chicken into his face and flees. <laughs> and the prince, There's a lot of commotion. He staggers backwards into his guards and the Baroness rushes forward to yell at them. And the prince goes, looks very suspiciously at the two old women and goes, were they just the two of you? And, and they go, yes, well, and the chicken, and the chicken. Your <laughs> And he sort of counts on one, two, huh, it's great. <laughs> At Anyways. this point, this poor man must think he's hallucinating this beautiful uh, Nicole Delancre. Yep. Just in the marketplace behind any stray chicken. Yep. So... The next scene is uh, the Baroness is in bed sort of getting ready for bed while Danielle builds her fire and she's looking forward to a happy future where her daughter is a princess. And we get a, a really interesting scene, which we don't get in a lot of Cinderella's, where there is a moment of closeness between the stepmother and Cinderella. So the Baroness gets up and says, you know, my mother was hard on me too, but she wanted me to be all that I could be. And then she pulls Danielle at this point is combing her hair and she pulls Danielle from behind her and has her kneel down and says you know she says it's a pity you never knew your mother and Danielle says I wish I knew what she looked like and she sort of redirects her saying we must never feel bad for ourselves things can always get worse and then she says it's a very beautiful moment she says there's so much of your father in you sometimes I can see him looking out through your eyes oh it's and Danielle is, she's smiling, her eyes are glowing, she's so happy. The Baroness, and of course, the Baroness undercuts this moment by saying, yes, well, your features are so masculine. Okay, okay, she does, but it's, 
it's not in the same callous way that she does everything else. Her jaw is tight. Her eyes are glassy like she's about to cry. She's definitely having some emotional moments that does not want to share that with Danielle. And so she's trying to like reestablish that distance. And then Danielle asks her, did you love my father? And there's a little pause and the Baroness goes, well, I barely knew him. Now go away. I'm tired. And her voice is a little bit shaky and wobbly. You can tell she's, she's having an emotional memory. Yeah. I, you really get the sense that she deeply loved Danielle's father and, or, or that she, she wanted to, or that she thought she did, but he went so fast. That there's something there that really paints her and that underneath all her callousness and underneath all her mistreatment, there is like a real person in there somewhere. And you get the sense that it's not just that he died and left her and now she has to live on this tiny little estate when she wants to be at court, It's which is normally what she whines about. But this seems like she's genuinely mourning him as a person and his loss. And it's a beautiful moment of connection between the two of them. And it really really works yeah one of the best Uh, things there's there's like it it can be hit or miss for people whether this sort of idea of the baroness as a real person with real feelings who sort of loves but sort of doesn't that characterization doesn't work for everyone but i think in this moment it really really works well and i also really like it because it's so complex it's so easy to have a character just be evil because that's what it says on the script but I love that her resentment of Danielle would come from this moment of her father's death where he looked to his child instead of his new wife and that she would look so much like him that that the Baroness would have this reminder every day of his husband that she loved but that kind of betrayed her by dying and leaving her in this little manor in the middle of nowhere where she doesn't want to be with this daughter that she does nothing to do with and so it's just it's so complex and it's so human and it's so real I love it we have to move on <laughs> okay so we see Danielle and Gustav in the field and Danielle is flying a kite and Gustav is painting and there's haystacks around them and Danielle is elated Gustav keeps trying to press her on her true feelings for the prince. And she's like, I don't care. He can marry Marguerite. And then I could have the manor and I could turn it around and things would be good. And he's like, you really don't care. He would be your brother-in-law. You would, you would be bringing them breakfast in bed. And she's like, if I saw him right now, I'd walk right up to him and say, my family is your family. Please take them away. And in the distance, the prince is approaching. Gustav, so Gustav has noticed, says, and Danielle right, is not. Here's your big chance. And of course, Danielle dives into a haystack <laughs> to avoid being seen by the prince. Prince Henry approaches Gustav and is trying to locate da Vinci. And he's like, is that not his flying contraption, uh, which is sticking out of the haystack like on a string? And Danielle kind of tries to toss it away but it's too late. It's been noticed. Yep. And Gustav, the little jerk that he is, is like, well, um, I don't know Da Vinci. I got this from the Comtesse Delancre. She's a friend of his. I believe she's staying with a cousin. And then he names the Baroness by name and says, I know that she is there alone by herself. At this very moment. At this very moment. 
And the prince is like, oh, that does pose a problem. And he goes and he's like, well, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go see her. Meanwhile, Danielle is just sitting in the haystack, Stack. just missing the moment she ever met Gustav, <laughs> the first time she ever pushed him into a mud puddle, because this is his revenge for what has clearly been years and years of torture. So the prince compliments Gustav on his nice painting and rides off to see Danielle, who he believes to be Nicole. Nicole now has to sprint to make it to the house and change quickly and answer the door and is just like, oh, hello. And he invites her to go to a monastery, which has a library. We do get a very funny pan while she's greeting him of the servants in the stairwell just around the corner, just fanning themselves and collapsed in a heap as there's clothes strewn around. So she clearly ran into the stairwell, just stripped and had a new gown put on her really, really fast. Like you do. It was a team effort. It was great. It's a really funny scene. And she tells him, it's not fair, sire. You have found my weakness, but I have yet to find yours. And he says, well, I think it should be obvious. And they go together. And he dismisses his staff. Yep. So we cut to church. The servant spy dude tells the baroness that the prince left early. No one knows where he is and gives her something. And she flirts with him some more. And then we cut to Gregorian Chance. She says, oh, you vicious vicious man we can't do every line i have to i have to i'm sorry it's so like charged okay Okay, so we come we cut to gregorian chance we're at the library monastery and danielle is super happy and she's talking to henry about books and her father and memories and he looks away and he's kind of upset and she asks him if something's wrong and he says you have more conviction in one memory than i have in my entire being and she starts to apologize and he says, no, don't apologize. It's not your fault. And then we cut back to church. So the evil spy man has given the Baroness like a package and she gives this package to Marguerite and has her take it to the queen. And it happens to be the queen's necklace, which was clearly stolen earlier. Marguerite is like, oh, your highness, I believe you dropped this. And this gains her an invitation to an audience with the queen who tells her, you know, also bring your mother. So we cut back to uh, Henry and Danielle. Henry's carriage has broken a wheel. And how embarrassing. How embarrassing. And Danielle, knowing that she kind of really has to get back home, she's kind of on a crunch, goes, well, we'll continue on foot. And Henry whines about it. And she sort of teases him like, where's your sense of adventure? So they set off on foot. We cut back to the step family. They're quarreling about stuff. And Jacqueline is feeling venting some of her hurt feelings about being left behind and left out and says next thing you know i'll be cleaning the fireplace with danielle and more stuff has gone missing and then we come back to the prince so we go back to the prince and he's standing in the forest uh, complaining you would think i would know the way to my own castle danielle has shed her dress and climbed a tree and is looking around trying to find it she does But this is when they're attacked by the band of thieves from earlier. And the prince declares, stay aloft, madam. There are games afoot. There's a bunch of sword play. A bunch of sword fighting. The leader of this thief gang starts to take her dress. Uh, Danielle jumps onto the back of this guy and picks up a sword. But she's she's grappled by two other dudes before she can really do anything. And the, the prince says, release her. You know, your quarrel is with me. And the thief captain goes, yeah, okay. As soon as she's released, 
she demands her okay so we, we do have to do the lines on this one we have to do the lines on this one okay this is one of the best scenes in this entire this is one movie. of the most iconic scenes she says i demand you return my dress sir and since you deprive me of my escort i demand a horse as well and they just sort of everyone looks at her in shock like you are not really in a position to be making demands madam but the thief captain goes milady you can have whatever you can carry and she says do i have your word on that sir and he says yes on my honor and she sort of squares her shoulders walks over to the prince bends over picks him up at a fireman's hold turns to the thief captain curtsies and walks away with prince henry slung over her shoulders like a slaughtered deer and everyone laughs their ass off and at this point the leader of the thieves is like wait please come back i'll give you a horse just well, laughing, just so, laughing hard. so hard that he can barely get it out everyone is roaring with laughter it's a hilarious moment and when she carries him out the prince just sort of waves his hand in a little wave just you know bye it's it's so great so we skip forward and danielle and prince henry are kind of partying with the thieves and they've been drinking copiously and they're playing boulder parchment shears okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they're having a moment they're bonding and when prince henry loses around to her despite telling her what he's going to play in an effort to trick her it does not work she tells him it's your turn and it better be good and the implication being that they're sharing like truths about themselves and he yeah. says i have no desire to be king and she tells him but think of all the wonderful things you could do and they talk about being defined by your position and she echoes the line that his mother gave to him earlier saying that privilege has specific obligations uh -huh. and then they start kissing and, and it's very cute and very thieves cute. notice and there's so much jeering and laughter and clapping just, just hooting and hollering it's great it's, it's basically if you start making out at like a high school party um in and front your of friends your notice. friends yeah your friends notice and just make and fun your of friends you. are terrible <laughs> yes as i think all high school friends are <laughs> yes correct so they they laugh and ride off he he they have a horse they ride home on a horse and they're given a horse they're given a horse and they ride back to her house and he helps her off the horse in a very romantic, slow letting down off of the horse move. It's, it's really romantic and kisses her again and essentially asks her on a second date. He's going to be at the ruins tomorrow and will she come? And she says she'll try and he says he'll wait all day. This is also where he tells her to call him Henry and she goes, Henry, and they kiss some more. They do kiss some more. It's very sweet. And he, he doesn't thank her for saving his life, but he acknowledges that she saved his life. Yes. So I, I wrote thank in my notes several times and then just had to keep erasing it because he never actually says thank you. He just says, you saved my life today. And <laughs> like, okay, all right. Well, it's hard to express gratitude when you're a prince. So we then get the prince loudly drawing the curtains back. We do, we do. No, I'm shaking my head because it's so funny. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Normally you shake your head because I've missed a whole big swatch in my notes, but no, this time I'm, I'm confident. I'm like, I have this movie delight. memorized. Okay. I'm shaking my head with delight. I'm okay. so sorry. So the prince loudly opens the curtains. Of his parents' bed. Of his They're parents' sleeping bed. very far away from each other. Yes, and this lets a bunch of light in on them. And the king wakes up with a start and goes off with his head, which, <laughs> mood, mood. I feel that. Oh. And the prince 
very cheerfully announces that he has all these plans. He wants to build a large university, the largest one where anyone can study no matter their station. And the king at this point goes, all right, who are you? And what have you done with my son? And he goes to leave and then he returns and he's like, oh, and I want to invite the band of thieves to the ball. And then just leaves. And then we get another wake up scene, which is the Baroness waking Danielle up with a broom, asking her where she was. Uh, they ask her, are you ill? And she goes, no. And then she thinks about it and then she goes, yes. Yeah, she's clearly hungover. And they're questioning her and anybody who's ever been questioned while hungover knows that the correct answer is what she gives with which is just tell me so i can get back to sleep she's not obsequious enough in this moment and when they demand their breakfast she says you have two hands make it yourself and the baroness commands jacqueline to go and boil water who responds with i knew it i just knew it knew it but then we cut to danielle doing her chores later that day and she walks into the house and she sees that they have the dress again and this is how mm. she's being punished for her ill temper in the morning that they've they're taken just... her mother's clothes uh -huh. and they're uh -huh. not going to give it back uh -huh. and she tells them you know the way that they hunt royalty like some sport it's disgusting and that those clothes are her mother's and marguerite goes yes and she's dead at which point danielle punches marguerite right in the eye it's, the... it's kind of amazing it's the best it's so good and marguerite just topples just heels overhead tails Which, over tea kettle it's great um there's a lot of screaming there's a chase and every and as a viewer you're having fun up until marguerite grabs the book utopia and holds it out like she's gonna throw it in the fire and the baroness tells her your father's book or your mother's shoes though neither will save you from a sound lashing and Danielle has this moment where she's clearly trying to decide between the two and she hands over the shoes that she's been holding and then Marguerite tosses the book into the fire anyway and the Baroness prevents Danielle from going after it. Oh. It is so really upsetting. upsetting and it pans to Jacqueline who's got her face in her hands and is as horrified as the viewer is. And Danielle is just sort of crying no, no and just we just watched the book burn for a little bit and it is I'm, I'm gonna go with devastating it's devastating it's one of the worst scenes in this film absolutely worst in the sense of most emotionally traumatizing yes 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 yes, yes. it's executed it does, beautifully but it's really upsetting and i don't it, like watching it no also it does not get better with time i think i've watched this movie maybe a hundred times because this used to be my go-to movie for after school when i was bored so it, this scene does not get less devastating the more times you watch it. We know that there's so much weight attached to that book. That is the last book her father gave her before he died. Um, but it's also the only thing she has of her mother's. It's versus just, the only thing she has of her mother's, the shoes, which are also being taken away from her. And just watching that book burn, oh, it's not it's, just a possession to her. It's her memory of her father and their connection. Oh, God, it's so bad. So from there, we cut to Danielle, who's laying on her stomach, and you can see, like, all the bloody wounds from her lashing, and yep. Jacqueline is treating them, and basically, she's being very gentle with her, but she's also saying, you know, you've really brought this on yourself, 
but they're they're bonding they're bonding they're over bonding and jacqueline describes the delight she felt in seeing danielle punch margarita in the face yep so this is a bonding moment for them and i think it's a really sweet moment we then cut to tea with the queen and marguerite has a massive shiner just a huge black eye and the excuse that they've given the queen is that she saved a baby from a runaway horse because <laughs> that was the best they could come up with i guess they didn't have the i accidentally fell into a doorknob excuse so at this point the queen is talking about her son and explaining that he was out all night and that he's gone again this morning and the baroness starts to put two and two together especially when the queen asks if you know the contest to Longre, at which point the baroness's face goes very still and she thinks for a minute and she goes nicole de Longre," and the queen is delighted and one of the things i love about the movie is that everybody's lies manage to line up somehow and it's great because the baroness says yes she's um staying with us she's our our cousin isn't that right darling and marguerite goes yes our cousin Margaret's not because really that girl lying. knows how to play along though she knows how to play along she's not great at lying but she does know how to play along <laughs> and at this point uh, the baroness decides to inform marguerite through code that it's danielle and she goes whom you like to call cinderella why does she do this i don't know why she does this it's such I a dumb she's thing just i think in that moment the baroness is just so overcome by how insane this moment is that she needs to share it with somebody. So she shares it with her daughter, who, once she realizes who it is, has a screaming fit. She gets up and she's just so mad. She just has a full-on temper tantrum. And then she sits back down very calmly. And the queen goes, good heavens, child, are you all right? And then the mildest possible voice, Marguerite goes, there was a bee that's my excuse for temper tantrums to this day y'all like occasionally <laughs> i mean i i'm a, I'm a grown-ass adult but occasionally i have to throw a temper tantrum because like life is hard sometimes and my excuse is always there was a bee <laughs> all right so, so we cut to the ruins where the prince is waiting danielle is now wearing a red dress the prince is waiting for her her eyes are very red and her nose is red she's clearly been crying henry tries to give her a book she tries to say that she can't stay long she keeps trying to tell him who she is. She but says, there's keeps... something I must tell you, but he's so excited that he keeps cutting her off. Yeah, and he keeps telling her about his childhood and these ruins and there's memories and how he no longer man imagines living alone and he's excited about this university project and she's helped him find freedom. And at this point, she there's too many feelings she's still crying by the way she's still just like quietly crying as they walk through these ruins but she does not notice or mention she cryingly tells him it wasn't me when he tells her that she's inspired him and he just sweeps past that and goes nicole you're unlike any courtesan i've ever met and he tells her that tomorrow at the mask he's going to make it known to the world and then finally he's like oh what is it you wanted to tell me and she oh. just she can't go through with it anymore and tells him that last night was the happiest night of her life while sobbing very noticeably yes. and he starts to kiss her and he moves his hand onto her back and she audibly groans in pain 
pushes him away and says, I must go. How does he not realize that she has wounds on her back and she's in horrible pain, both physically and emotional? I said I would let you know when I start to hate him. It's now. I hate him now. Okay. This is my only thing I can offer for this. He absolutely should have noticed that she was crying. But here's the thing. He thinks that she's a countess. Countesses don't get whipped. Like Okay. I don't expect him to somehow know that she was whipped, but she audibly groans in pain. She, she like does recoil in pain. Mild, yeah. It's not like a mild noise. She sounds wrecked. Like, yeah, okay. you can't mistake it for like a Something sexy else. noise. Yep. It just isn't. It's like a groan of a person in pain. I just, I don't like it that he doesn't listen to her. He doesn't listen to her. She's clearly trying to tell him something. And He's also not paying attention to like her very obvious distress at any time. Yeah, you're- I have you're, a really hard time getting past this. You are successfully ruining this for me. I hope you're happy. I'm not happy. I wish it wasn't like this because I love so many parts of this movie. That's fair. But the older I get, the more critical I become of the way he treats her. Okay, so Danielle goes to sneak back into the manor, but is confronted by the Baroness and uh, both daughters about this whole Contest de Lancre ruse thing. And Danielle is just over it. And she starts, she, she just, she doesn't deny it. She just says, you know, what bothers you more, stepmother, that I'm common or that I'm competition? And it, it turns out that the magic dress has gone missing. And the stepmother thinks that she has stolen it, which she responds with, I wonder if maybe it's with all the other stuff that has gone missing. The candlesticks and the tapestries. And she exclaims, I would rather die a thousand deaths than to see my mother's dress on that spoiled selfish cow. And she realizes that she has gone too far because she is yelling in her, she has tears in her eyes. And she sort of has that look of, I have gone too far, but I'm not backing down. Said it, I meant it. I'm a little scared now, but I did say it and I did mean it. And so the Baroness locks her in a root cellar and forbids the staff from opening the door. She then tells her, her children to pack for the ball. And Jacqueline goes, Mother, it's only a ball. And the Baroness goes, yes, and you're only going for the food. She doesn't tell them to pack for the ball. She tells them to gather everything, meaning anything that they can sell. They're oh. raiding the home for every single item that they can sell so that they can buy something new to wear because they were planning on wearing the dress oh that makes so much more sense okay so it's only a ball yes and you're only going for the food that line will matter later which is why i felt it needed to include so then we cut to the queen speaking to the prince and the queen explains to him that she was told by the baroness that nicole meaning danielle is engaged to a belgian and that she's already left and the prince is like well she should have had the decency to say something. And the queen is like, would you have listened? And he yells, of course not. <laughs> it's, it, it's a cute moment. And he feels like very stupid. He feels foolish and like she's been laughing at him. Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's experiencing emotional distress at this moment and sort of stomps off. And the queen calls after him, any choice is better than Spain. <laughs> We then cut to the marketplace and Maurice has cornered Gustave and is, has just buttonholed him and is begging him to go and tell the prince what happened to Danielle. And Gustave says, you know, I can't. And Maurice says, well, then go talk to Da Vinci. You're both painters. And 
Gustav is like, I, I can't. And Gustav, and Maurice goes, for once in your life, man, be bold. And then goes, which is this young scrawny dude being pushed up against a wall and just collared by the septuagenarian. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's a really good scene. It is. So then we cut to the big party, the ball with fireworks, and we see the evil man, the, yes. the sneaky little servant man. And he's humming and he's peeing at the wall and Gustav is on the top of the wall and he looks at him and he picks up a pot, like a clay pot, and he kind of goes, yoo-hoo. And when the evil guy looks up, he drops the pot on his head, knocking him out and stealing his clothes. We never see the evil little man again. He may have killed him. Yep. So the step family is leaving their house now to go to the ball. Marguerite is now dressed as a peacock. Jacqueline is dressed as a horse and is annoyed about it because she wanted to be the peacock. She's uh, told that a horse is one of God's noblest creatures. And she responds with, why don't I just pull the carriage while I'm at it? And the Baroness goes very coolly, if you think it'll get us there faster. That's great. The stepmother, I don't know what she's dressed as. She's got a crescent horn thing on her head. So like the moon or something. I thought she was meant to be a bull, but I didn't understand. I think it's supposed to be the moon because she's got a crescent on her head and it's sort of covered in lace. Who can say? It doesn't matter. They went hard for the party. They did. They did. So so we then see the interior of the ball for the first time. And it's huge and it's lavish. It's in this massive hall. It's There's really beautiful, appropriate dancing going on, which is in a circle and sort of just touching and twirling. It's lovely. There's Everybody's wearing a mask. Everybody's dressed super fancy. I would go to this ball. This ball looks like a ton of fun. This is the one ball that I'm watching that I'm like, wow, this looks like a real party. Like I This wanna... looks like a blast. There's like cannons firing. There's some sort of giant boat thing happening. Just, yeah, it's a boat ship thing in the room. Why? Because we're rich and French. That's why. As a centerpiece, it's like rocking back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's great. Anyway, so Gustave, now dressed in the evil guy's outfit, is trying to find Da Vinci and he goes to the wrong guy and is so excited about asking him that he just immediately passes out. And from somewhere past him, Da Vinci goes, oh, yes, me? It's great. It's a cute moment. It's a very cute moment. We then go back to where Danielle is locked in the cellar and the servants are trying to get her out, but they're just not able to like get the lock open. They're trying to pick the lock with a pocket knife, essentially. It is not going well. And then Da Vinci shows up and just pops the door off its hinges and everyone's just like, oh, that was genius. And he goes, yes, I shall go down in history as the man who opened the door. As a note, what he does is remove the hinge pins from the hinges. I just, I put together some doors recently. (laughs) I got a long lecture about how you put in hinge pins. Just, sorry, sorry, sorry. So playing the part of the fairy godmother, Da Vinci is now convincing Danielle to go and she's distraught. She's saying he's expecting someone who doesn't exist. And, you know, she's talking about how she's no one. And Da Vinci counsels her that the prince will understand. We have to get you ready to the ball. If you stay, the Baroness wins. That he deserves to hear the truth from the one he loves. Yes. And she has this beautiful line where she says, a bird may love a fish, signora, but where would they live? And he says, then I shall have to make you wings. Oh, so we cut to the palace. Henry is moping in a tunnel by himself and has requested to speak with the king. And the king comes up and they have the first 
father-son interaction that is not antagonistic. And the king sort of apologizes for putting so much pressure on him about the marriage deal and says, you know, I really like your university idea and we don't, we don't have to announce anything tonight. And Henry cuts him off and goes, I've made my decision. And the king looks a little bit crestfallen. So then we cut back to the manor and Danielle is now ready for the ball. We see her feet and the hem of her gown as she runs out and gets into the carriage. And Da Vinci asks to see Gustav's paintings because when you're as old as he is, now is all you've got, which is a really cute scene. But the servants wait because it's tradition. You always wave at the gate. And Danielle leans out and waves at the gate. It's a cute moment. It's a very cute moment. And they also mentioned that she looks like a masterpiece and she looks like her mother. So we cut back to the ball and Jacqueline is at the snacks table dressed as a horse. And when I say dressed as a horse, um, dear listener, she has a a headpiece on that has a it's genuinely a horse's head made out of lace, the, the top part of it. So it's it's not a full mask, but it's sort of a veil. It's in the shape of a horse's head. So she's very horsey. Laurent is also at the snackies table wearing the same headdress because he is also dressed as a horse. And they have horse flirting. So he looks at her and he goes, whoa. And she whinnies awkwardly at him. She and goes, nay, just very awkwardly. And then he also goes nay at her, but very like full-throatedly. And they both smile at each other while getting snacks. It's It's a very cute moment. It's the cutest moment. I love their romance. It's the best. So from there, we have the king making this big announcement. And he's going on and on about how it's their great pleasure, not only to honor Da Vinci, but also to announce a long-awaited decision. My great pleasure, the engagement of my son. And he keeps going on and on. And then right as he's getting to who the engagement is to, he's interrupted because Danielle has arrived and she's wearing these gossamer wings and she's got these sparkles on her face. She's wearing her mother's dress. She looks beautiful. And she's also the only one wearing white. Everybody else is wearing very, um, very appropriate colors, but everybody's dressed very colorfully. It's a, it's a masked ball. You wear fun stuff. And so she, she does very much stand out in this crowd. Yes. And it's a beautiful dress. It's got, again, a, a V neckline and sort of a higher waist and delicate little ruffles at the shoulders and elbows. And it's flowing and it looks beautiful on her because you've seen her just wearing very rough stuff and very rich things when she's dressed as Nicole. But this is actually hers and it's really beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's lovely. And we get that moment where everyone turns around to look at her, but they're doing this because Henry has like stopped his father and is running towards her. So Henry runs up to her and basically just asks her a lot of questions. Why are you here? I I thought you were engaged. And she says, you know, I'm not engaged. Your mother was misinformed, but I have to talk to you. And he goes, well, whatever it is, my answer is yes. And just hauls her by the hand through the crowd and she's saying no no wait I have to tell you and he's saying look I invited the thieves and she's really trying to talk to him repeatedly and we see the baroness and she goes well well what have we here and starts making her way through the crowd and Marguerite goes mother what are you doing and baroness goes making you a princess and she storms up to Danielle grabs one of her wings and just rips it off and throws it on the ground and says, how dare you? And the prince yells at her and 
the Baroness responds with, she's duplicitous, she's been a servant in my home. It's my duty to expose this hoax. And the prince is furious and tells the Baroness that she's on dangerous ground and asks Nicole to deny it. And seeing them together and looking at their interactions with one another, he starts to realize that it might be true. And Danielle in tears starts to say, just says, Nicole de Lancre was my mother. I am what she says. And he realizes that the apple throwing in the beginning was her and is disgusted and turns away. And she goes, Henry, please. Everybody just gasped because she referred to him by name. And he turns back and just, just so coldly tells her, do not address me so informal. I am a prince of France and you are just like them. And stalks away. She's in tears and she just turns and flees. It's deeply upsetting. It's a really, really awful scene because it is so public. It is in front of everybody. Everybody. And the fact that she's begging him to listen to her, to let her explain she's crying. She's been trying to tell him. She said, you know, at least four times, there's something I have to tell you. And he, and just, he just ignored doesn't. it. So the fact that he doesn't even give her a chance to explain herself, the fact that he rebukes her for calling him by name, which is something that he's given her permission to do to previously. Do? Yeah, no, it's a rough scene. It's brutal. Especially like he, he thought that she had betrayed him and that she was engaged and he was never going to see her again, the latter of which is clearly what is upsetting him most. And then she shows up and he finds out that she's not engaged and he's just elated. There's just so much joy, his whole life he can see his whole life ahead of him and it's wonderful it's with her and then he gets this other thing that she has quote unquote lied to him about and it all comes back with like extra strength just more so so he appears to be mad at her for all the stuff that she didn't do and also for how hunted he feels by everybody else he just dumps all of the everything that he's feeling and is unwilling to process or talk about or think about or take a second at all and just dumps it all into her in front of everybody and it's such a bad scene i he feels like he's been played yes and instead of you know trying to listen to what she's trying to tell him he's decided that she's just like everybody else that she's been manipulating him that all she wants is to be queen we're like if he had stopped for a moment he would know that that's not true because he's met her they've talked like he knows her he, he knows her like she's not hunting him she argues with him and calls him spoiled and arrogant that's not hunting behavior anyways we have to move on so it's the party but the prince is sitting alone and da vinci finally makes his way to him and he's like what have you done and you know, Henry's like, I've been born to privilege, comes with responsibilities. And Da Vinci says the most accurate response to this, which is horseshit. And he's like, she came to tell you to the truth and you gave her to the wolves. And he says a line that's really poignant. He says, I know that a life without love is not a life worth living, which is like really brutal when you think about the fact that Da Vinci is gay and that like historically in that time period, that was not going to work out for him the, the way that it could for straight people. And he, he also harangues Henry with, do you have any idea what that girl went through to get here tonight? And Henry is just adamantly just like a spoiled toddler, just defending his position loudly. And finally, Da Vinci 
puts the shoe on the edge of the rampart and goes, well, then you don't deserve her and walks away and it starts to rain and Danielle's running home in the rain, which is destroying her wings and they're all sodden and she's crying. It's just, oh, I hate it. Yeah, she's <sighs> sitting outside the doors to her home and she's just sobbing in the rain. And then we cut to the next day and she's doing chores and the Baroness is talking to her and she's like, I've never seen you quite this dedicated in your chores. And Danielle oh, says... Danielle says, what makes you think I do any of this for you? I have work to do. And the Baroness is telling her, let the others handle it. And Danielle's like, you've won. Just go move into the palace. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. Just let me take care of this home. It's what she's always wanted. And she's just ready for that to happen. She's resigned. The Baroness says, you're not my problem anymore. Which definitely is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Because Danielle responds with, is that what I am, your problem? And she tells her, you know, you're the only mother I've ever known. Was there a time that you felt any love for me, even in the slightest measure? And the Baroness just destroys any glimmer of hope she has. And she goes, how can anyone love a pebble in their shoe? And Danielle just crying, just Just nods. And and she accepts this and she walks away. It is a another just devastating moment so at this point uh one of the servants yells danielle my lady come and see it's all back all of this and it turns out that all of the missing items have been one by one sold to monsieur le pew the evil beardy guy mm-hmm. and all of the things are back now all of danielle's father's books his paintings everything mm-hmm. and it's because the baroness doesn't want them to look like paupers when the king arrives and What has happened is she has made a deal. She has treated Danielle for all of these things. Which takes a second to set in. And then Danielle realizes it, starts screaming no, and is just hauled away as we get an overlay of Latin church music. And the next scene is Da Vinci alone in his art studio painting. And he's beginning a, a famous Da Vinci painting, which we saw in the opening framing device with the, the Grand Dame. Yes. Um, and then we cut to a cathedral without changing music and it is henry's wedding day <laughs> and it's he is marrying, very somber very somber. very somber yes it's classic latin church music and he is marrying the spanish princess who and so is he's, sobbing she will not stop sobbing and guys she's not she's not like quietly crying she's not womanly sobbing she's sobbing the way you do when you're sobbing so hard that you're concerned you're gonna throw up like, if you ever cried so hard that you thought you were going to vomit, she's crying that hard and just continually. And it's hysterically funny. She's full on wailing in this like echoing hall. She's, they're in a cathedral. They're in a cathedral and she's just scream sobbing. And they're trying to do the wedding and she just keeps going, no, no, por favor, Henry, por favor. And is just pleading to them in Spanish sobbing hysterically and finally he just bursts out laughing and he takes off her veil and he's like madam I know exactly how you feel and he kisses her on her cheek and just kind of pushes her away from him just setting her free and she runs into the arms of a very frazzled balding man and they're just so happy and they're kissing each other and they're just so relieved Meanwhile, the Spanish royals, the king and the queen are arguing and you hear the phrase to culpa a lot. You know, yep. your fault. It's your fault. 
it's great <laughs> and the french king and queen giggle trying to be quiet about it and they say and i thought i had problems <laughs> it's a cute <laughs> moment it's it's one of the best moments so henry runs outside and he's trying to find out from uh maurice who's standing outside of the church with you know all the other servants where danielle is and he's told by jacqueline who comes sort of out to tell him that she's been sold to pierre le pew mm -hmm. and the prince tells them not to tell anybody that they spoke and now we cut to pierre le pew's house which mm -hmm. has like ominous music and is a uh, another french castle chateau but it's very medieval very uh, stark looking it, it looks bad well he's just given back all the paintings and tapestries that's fair so danielle enters carrying a big bag full of swords and her feet are chained and uh Le Pew is being gross again okay can you imitate his voice because i'm not gonna do a good job if i try but if you uh, can't do it i will i can try he goes Oh, I do so hate to see you in irons. I'd remove them. If only you'd promised not to run away again. Like, he just does everything like it's so, the sleaziest thing it, you can imagine, just dripping oil. Yes. And she puts him off and he says, You belong to me now, which prompts my favorite line I belong to no one, least of all you. And he's comparing her to horses and just being really gross. And he gets closer to her and she goes, you will maintain your distance, sir. Cause he's picked up part of her hair and is kissing it like a gross person. It's very gross. And he goes, oh, you didn't say please. At which point <laughs> she grabs the knife out of his like sheath and turns around and just points it at his throat and goes, please. In my notes, I have a please and then in parentheses, but with a sword. But with a sword. <laughs> um, he, he, he says, he, I could hang you for this. And she goes, not if you're dead. And he goes, I do love your spirit and pushes her wrist to right and like leans out, like tongue all the way out to just like, <laughs> and she grabs one of the swords off the table and just pushes him away and slashes him across the face. And he sort of staggers back into his fancy black chair. And she advances on him with a sword and a dagger held with really good point control guys it's hard to control where the point of something is three feet away from you just it, it is it's, it's hard to do it requires a lot of wrist strength and she says you know my father was an expert swordsman give me the key or i swear in his grave i will slit you from navel to nose and this scene is interspersed with scenes of henry and the prince uh sorry henry and the captain captain laurent the guard just horses racing through the woods towards her and Lepew just very slowly and carefully hands her the key and goes your freedom my lady <laughs> it's a great scene you don't want to mess with a pissed off lady with two pointy things no no you don't and we already know she has good aim yeah so the prince shows up with the cavalry but daniel is just like walking out by herself yep. and it's just very casual and the prince goes hello and she goes hello and she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I um, came to rescue you. And she's like, rescue me, a commoner. And he goes, actually, I came to beg your forgiveness. I offered you the world, but at the first test of honor, I betrayed your trust. And he goes, please, Danielle. And he's asking for her forgiveness, but she goes, say it again. 
And he tries to apologize again. And she's like, no, the part where you said my name. And you know she's forgiven him. Yep. So he pulls the shoe out and says, the shoe belongs to my perfect match. And Danielle says, it's the shoe of a peasant who pretended to be a courtier to save a man's life, your highness. And he goes, I know. And it's Henry, if you don't mind, which... I hated that. He's already joking about it. He's being so casual about something that was an incredibly painful moment. And this scene happens, you know, he arrives on the scene to rescue her, but his guard is like not in this scene. It's just him and her in this empty courtyard. And so his shaming of her was so public, but his apology is very private. And it just, it's not enough for me. Here's the thing, as a teenager, I thought that this was like a very romantic and lovely scene. And I don't anymore. I really mourn the fact that I don't like this anymore. Right. I used to love it. I I really, really did. I still maintain that this is one of my favorite Cinderella's, but I am no longer into the prince. Yeah. It's upsetting for me because I was into him a lot and now I'm not. So he holds the shoe out again and says you know please tell me I haven't lost her and he kneels down in the mud before her and takes her muddy work boot off and puts her shoe on while he's asking her to marry him and she sort of cries in her hands and he looks anxious for a second and then she raises her head and she is now laugh crying and holds out her arms and he picks her up and swings around in a big circle and they kiss and then we cut back to the manor and Marguerite is grilling Jacqueline for what the prince said. You know, I heard the prince talk to you after the marriage. And Jacqueline makes stuff up, sort of hedging, like, oh, it all happened so quickly. I don't, I don't really know. Just She so- also actively gets her sister's hopes up by saying that the prince said something like, oh, serves me right for choosing a foreigner over your sister. Over your beat, beat sisters. it's just it's great it's a nice pause and at that point the doorbell rings and everybody jumps up and races to go get it and it is captain laurent and he says the king is requesting an immediate audience with with, the baroness with the baroness and she goes oh is, is anything wrong and laurent goes no the king demands you arrive in style and the baroness goes well in style we shall be and they kind of squeak and her and marguerite race off and jacqueline who knows what's up because she's in on this goes to close the door and she looks at laurent and just gives him the cutest little smile it's a very knowing glance that they share between each other but it's It's, also like a very like i like you smile it's the cutest it is the cutest i love it and so we now cut to the court and the three um to get ladies uh paraded and all their finery big fancy music trumpety stuff plays and they come in and they kneel before the king and queen and the king goes baroness did you or did you not lie to her majesty the queen of france and all of a sudden the baroness is like oh oh no this isn't going well for me and she's cautioned to choose her words wisely because they may be her last. And she kind of tries to jokingly say, you know, a woman would do anything for the love of her daughter, your majesties. And Marguerite immediately throws her under the bus and is like, mother, what have you done? And acts like she didn't know 
and she's still trying to salvage her position and they're kind of pushing each other back and forth like she has lied to us both how dare you turn on me your little ingrate and it's just yelling it's a spectacle and the king smacks his royal scepter on the floor and says silence the both of you god are they always like this and jacqueline pipes up worse your majesty at which point the baroness from the ground goes jacqueline darling i hate to think that you had anything to do with this and jacqueline goes of course not mother i'm only here for the food and it's the best it's I a love- really good moment it's it feels good i think that might be the best comeuppance it's that oh. line of that person that you undervalued forever and just thought was going to be on your side but mistreated because you never thought they were going to betray you that you never thought you had to pay attention to them when they just lose it and i just mm, i love jacqueline it's really good so they're told that they're going to be stripped of title and shipped to the americas unless by some miracle someone here will speak for them and there's an echoing silence as the baroness walks through this hall of people backing up in fear and no one will speak for her until we hear Danielle's voice from the other side of the room saying, I will speak for her. And everyone looks around and there she is in the stunning red dress with a crown on and everyone immediately bows and Henry looks like very pleased. So what happens is as soon as she speaks, the Baroness, hand, her hand flies to her mouth because she thinks that Danielle is still at Monsieur Le Pew's. Everyone kneels and Margaret looks around in sort of anger, confusion, but does also kneel. Just, it's, it's a great moment. And the prince goes, Marguerite, I don't believe you've met my wife. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good moment. And so Danielle says, I want you to know that I will forget you and never think of you again. But you, I'm very certain, will think of me every day for the rest of your life. And the Baroness goes, and how long might that be? Danielle says, all I ask your majesties is that you show her the same courtesy that she has bestowed upon me. So, of course, the next scene (laughs) when we cut is uh, the Baroness and Marguerite are now washing women and they're being led around by the person in charge of them. They're in this room with lots of women and it's loud and full of steam and vats and people doing laundry. It's very busy. It's a workhouse, essentially, but in a palace. Yes. And the, the in-charge lady is telling them what she wants them to do. And the Baroness says to Marguerite, you know, get to it. And when Marguerite kind of recoils with that, and the Baroness says, well, a management. And Marguerite treats her just the same as me, a big nobody. And as they're scuffling and fighting, the, the lady in charge of showing them around goes you are getting on my nerves and pushes them and they fall into a vat of purple dye and they're just purple faced and just angry and sputtering and they're miserable and it feels so good and all the servants are laughing at them and (sighs) then the main lady goes now get to work it's just it's so good and they marguerite is crying and the baroness just slaps the water in anger it's so good it's It's so good very satisfying so uh we cut back to the main palace and da Vinci has unveiled this painting as a belated wedding present and Danielle thanks him and Gustave giggles that she's being addressed as your highness and they have a well I can still whip you royalty or not moment they're still (laughs) friends and the prince teases da Vinci that it doesn't look anything like her and Danielle pulls him 
to an alcove and goes, you, sir, are supposed to be charming. And, and he goes, he says, and we, princess, are supposed to live happily ever after. And she's like, who says that? And he goes, do you know? Don't know. And they kiss. And we cut back to modern times. Well, not modern times. We cut back to the framing device. And yes. we see the Brothers Grimm being escorted out of their audience with the Grand Dame as her voiceover says, my great-great-grandmother's portrait hung in the university until the revolution. And it ends with the line, and while Cinderella and her prince did live happily ever after, the point, gentlemen, is that they lived. And we get this big swelling music and this beautiful long continuous shot that pulls away from this magnificent French palace as this beautiful carriage rolls away from it. And it's so beautiful. And that is how this movie ends. Yes. I just want to say we're only four minutes over time. So far. I'm, I'm very proud of us. I'm we very did good. proud of us too. This could have taken several hours. Oh my God. Okay. So highs and lows. Uh, <laughs> you go first. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I think my high is it's that little moment with Jacqueline at the end with the little smile because it's just so perfect. It's this culmination. It's this beautiful buildup of you know what's going to happen and it's going to be so good and it's so tasty in your mouth. You can almost feel it and she's in on it with you and I love it. It is, there's a bunch of really great favorite moments in this movie and including some of which are like the most devastating, but like that moment with Jacqueline is just one of my favorite moments. So I'm going to go with Lowe's as is not the devastating ones just like the moments that i liked least about the movie in terms of moviness so i'm excluding all the devastation scenes mm -hmm. i i i really don't like it's like one of the scenes with the prince i'm trying to pick which one i think i, I dislike the scene where the prince is talking with his mother after he's been told that she's engaged to a Belgium and he's just stomping and whining like a little twit. I just, you've seen moments of him being kind of a dick before and you can kind of push it. You can excuse it as, okay, well, he's, he's really under duress then, or he's really in a temper then, or he was caught off guard or he wasn't thinking, but this is the first time when you really just see him just be an absolute terrible person just that that would be his response so i think that's my low mm -hmm. what about you okay so i mean my high has to be the scene with the thieves yep where you know she demands a horse and an escort and she okay. carries him on his back i just i've loved that scene since the first moment i saw it it's always one of my favorite parts of the film Okay. I don't have to explain it. You know, you get it's, it. It's the best. Um, for me, my low, yeah, it's a Prince scene. So it's when he comes to rescue her and he goes, the name's Henry, if you don't mind. Yeah. I yeah. just, he's, he's being so casual about something that was so devastating. Yeah. His line in front of everybody where he doesn't let her address him as Henry. Uh -huh. It's so brutal. And yeah. I can understand why that had to happen in the context of the film. 
but the fact that he jokes about it like that, that he treats it so lightly, I just, it makes me furious. Like if I had to pinpoint one line that makes me angry, it's that line. Yeah, I, I agree. I would agree with that. So what would you change about this movie? I would make his proposal or his wedding a scene. Like, I don't like that we only see the public revelation that Henry and Danielle are together in the context of the comeuppance against the Stepp family. I would have loved to see like a scene where they announce their engagement or a scene where they get married or something like that because because he rejected her so publicly I needed for me for my emotional well-being I needed him to like apologize and expect and accept her in an equally public way and I understand that that happened at some point within the universe of this film because they're married and I'm sure that was public Mm -hmm. but because we don't see it happen even though Danielle's clearly moved on from that hurt like I can't as a viewer like I needed to have that moment where that wound is healed and it didn't happen and I wish it had yeah I I I have to agree with you there how about you what would you change so what I would change and this is a big change I would have her be able to tell him in the ruins and have a blow-up fight there alone by themselves and he as we discussed privately in our chat probably doesn't take it well probably blows up at her and she leaves in tears which is what she does anyways and she goes home and the baroness has figured it out so the same scene happens and upon talking to his mother or he does some soul searching or he talks to his father something and he realizes that due to his own you know cruel behavior that he's never going to see her again and now he's going to have to marry somebody else and spend the rest of his life with someone who he doesn't love and he he has this moment of oh no I if I if I could do that again I would handle it so differently I wish I had another chance and through some plot device she still goes to the ball and the same thing happens but this time he's just he's shocked and delighted because he thought she wasn't going to come and he apologizes to her and she still has to flee the ball for some reason because it's Cinderella so it doesn't something happens I don't care what so the same thing still happens she still has to flee she still has he gets waylaid by something maybe like there's a messenger from spain and they thought that she was going to marry the princess and so the ambassador declares war and and in the uproar she has to flee for reasons and he can't get to her uh it could have all gone the same but i wish that that had been what happened instead of again that horrible horrible scene i mean i hate that they took the ball which is supposed to be this beautiful romantic moment and they made it like the devastating point in the movie. Well, t- to be fair, they also had the rest of the movie to have a romance because this is one of the only Cinderella's where the prince and Cinderella have a, mo- a romance on their own without the plot device of the ball as how they meet. So, uh, we, so we didn't have to have think... the ball as the big romance. We had all this other romance that was real, like, no, no, bonding. No, no, I understand. It's not from a plot point of view. It's from, like, an expectations of the viewer, kind of, like, it's not internal within the universe. It's external. As a viewer, as somebody who likes the Cinderella story, 
you go into it thinking that the ball is going to be this beautiful moment and she shows up looking so stunning mm -hmm. and he like runs to her and you think it's just going to be wonderful and it's the like it's the point that's the lowest in the movie and I just think it's cruel not only to Danielle but like also to me Talon specifically <laughs> I, I can't really disagree with that so what final grade would you give this movie this is so hard because out of everything we watched, I think this is the best movie. Yeah. Like, I just think it's so well made. It's incredibly well, like, written. Every line is so quotable. The emotions sweep you away. There's so many tender scenes and so many devastating scenes and so many funny scenes in this. It's just, it, it feels like it should be cramped and awkward but it's not. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, it also makes me like really mad and really upset. So I think I have to compromise with like an A minus, like okay. a really good movie, but it gives me bad feelings. And I have to say like, I don't know that I will ever watch this again, like on my own for my own enjoyment. Like, I think that's been ruined for me. That's upsetting. Yeah, it is upsetting. Like I'm upset about that. I'm sorry. Me too. How about you? What grade? What grade are you giving this? Again, I don't like to give the same grade as you, but I am also going with an A minus because really, yeah, because you you've convinced me this oh, was going to. I'm gonna, so sorry. <laughs> I know this was going to be an A plus, but watching it again through this lens of Cinderella, having watched however many of these stupid things we've watched, it's everything about it is so excellent. The casting the costumes the scenery the filming the lighting the music literally everything about this movie is awesome but the last quarter the prince just goes off the rails and rather than having a moment of growth has a moment of just tantrum and peak and being randomly cruel because he can and mm -hmm. he doesn't ever really redeem himself and yeah. that's so in good in good news i will absolutely be able to watch this again because i will just ignore that but uh, yeah, I, I have to give this an A minus too, which I'm annoyed that it has to drop that much. But still, this is an excellent movie. Um, listeners, you've almost certainly watched this. If you haven't watched it, please go watch it. This movie is phenomenal. You're I gonna love it. I highly recommend it. I highly There's recommend so, it. So many good lines. You guys don't even know how many lines we did not quote directly at you. We, we made a pact. We tried so hard. Some of us tried more than others. I, I don't think I did quite as good a job as I meant to. I really tried, man. I really tried. Well, it's almost midnight, so thanks for joining us. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating or a review. We'd love to hear from you, so follow us at CinderPod on Twitter and Instagram, like our Facebook page, or email us at thecinderellapodcast at gmail.com. If you want bibbidi-bobbidi-bonus episodes or to hear us discuss this week's Cinderella again, but with more adult beverages than the Ever After Party, please support us at patreon.com slash cinderpod. Our intro music is Bad Ideas by Kevin McLeod. You can find him at incompetech.com. So Liv, what are we watching next week? I'm so glad you asked, Colin. Next week, we're watching Cinderella, My Favorite Fairy Tale. This is an animated 12-minute short from 1986, and it looks terrible. I'm pumped. <laughs> Well, until next time, we hope you have a happily ever after.